the Forgecast. My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Alex Norton. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. The Forgecast is coming at you thanks to our preferred abrasive supplier, Weber. Get onto them at abrasives.on.net to stock up on some of the highest quality abrasives around. Whether you're grinding a bevel or hand sanding it, think Weber and tell them the Forgecast sent you. Yeah, so uh, what have you been up to this week, Alex? Not much, really. My VFD's still dead. Still waiting on the new one. Damn courier's taken forever. Uh, I did finish that V-Toku knife um, and put out a YouTube video around the uh, handle finishing on it. Came out really, really well, and it's gotten some huge positivity from people who have seen it, which has been very uplifting. Uh, it's... Um, it was really quite good. Um, I love working with tongue oil, but um, it's due to expense is usually quite difficult to, to get a hold on when you're working on a budget. Um, yeah. It's also painstaking to apply um, when you're sort of doing things, trying to get things out the door. Like it's days worth of work, but geez, the results are worth it. It really looks great. Um, and that Amboynia bill really popped. Uh, it's sort of... One, one person actually summed it up really well. It looks like a storm encased in the shape of a handle. Yeah, I think I saw that comment. Mm. So Very it sums nice. it up nicely. I've been um, rethinking Niels's mushroom knife that I'm working on. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, thanks Again. to... Indirectly, <laughs> thanks to my inspiration of the week, who I'll get into later. Um, and... Uh, been doing more finishing work on that axe which given all of the engraving is just basically slogging it out and doing a few hours a day um, trying to get all the detail work done on that it's a painstaking process but the end result will look good enough to justify it I imagine Um, and I've also been making some new tooling I've I've done a couple of new sets of tongs um, and a new uh, slitting chisel for decorative work uh, just because the ones I was working with were sort of it was one of those I was making do with a modified version of a bought tool <laughs> and it just didn't quite do it, it but um, I, ne- I never take the time to make things for myself so I just had a screw at the moment and decided to uh, forge one out of some coil spring and it came, it came out alright but now I'm at the point where I really want to clean it up and don't have a grinder to do it on <laughs> yeah that always sucks yeah, so I'll, I'll finish it once my new VFD turns up. Um, so, yeah, it's just playing the waiting game, really. Um, my song of the week this week's a little bit of a different flavor to what we've got on the Forgecast playlist up until this point. Um, I don't listen to much EDM, um, electronic mm. dance music, but mm. um, there's a very specific type that has always taken my fancy, except very few artists actually do it. Uh, a notable <laughs> what dubstep no no <laughs> no um it, uh, older people will remember way back when there was an awesome song this isn't my song of the week but there was an awesome song called standing outside a broken phone booth with money in my hand by the primitive radio gods um that is the sort of style that i like it's just very few people do it but by chance, I'm um, just following the, you know, clicking suggested videos on YouTube journey that we've all been on at one point. Um, I found a French brotherhood of DJs called C2C, literally the, uh, the letters C and the number two, so C2C. Uh, and they did a song called Down the Road, which incorporates that sort of bluesy feel that the primitive radio gods captured, you know, decades ago now. Um, and it just I don't know it just speaks to me it's a really nice sort of relaxing uh, sort of EDM that's not in your face it doesn't insist on itself like most of them do and clever use of um, um, sampled vocals and things from old blues singers and harmonica and it's, it's just really nice music so 
um, definitely check that out on the playlist because uh, you never know. You might find yourself liking it. Interesting. Yeah. So how about you, Sam? What's your week been? Oh, man. <laughs> where, where do I start? Um, well, uh, as many will know, uh, I kind of had a bit of a, a rough uh, few days uh, after Friday because I developed a... Uh, benign form of positional vertigo um uh, basically there's some stuff rattling around in my inner ear that makes me uh, lose my balance and make it feel like the world's spinning whenever i move my head um which made it very difficult to do anything unfortunately um yeah so dealing with that and the anxiety and all that kind of stuff that came with it made it really difficult to uh to interact online or to be, you know, anywhere near a computer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I felt felt so much like shit because I wasn't putting anything out there and I wasn't, you know, making stuff and I wasn't selling stuff and it was just a rough time. Um, that kind of got compounded on Monday when I went to the doctors and found out that I also have uh, hypertension and potentially uh, type 2 diabetes, which, uh, again, not really surprising, but just a bit more painful just another uh, thing to add to the pile yeah that's it just another so twist making of the knife. your week shitty yeah so um it's safe to say i was pretty uh pretty down on the dumps start of this week pretty sure that i didn't want to uh do anything really <laughs> i was i was uh, i was done with uh, this week already but i decided that i couldn't let it get me down too much uh, there was no sense in, in spending time staring at my navel and, and thinking, poor me, poor me. So uh, I got out there and I made uh, three Hexhawks. Hmm. Um, so I forged three Hexhawks. Well done. Uh, and ground them. I heat treated them today, actually. They're sitting in the oven, tempering <laughs> as I speak. Um, along with, I heat treated a Hex hammer that I made a while back. It's a dog's head. It's a one pound dog's head hammer made out of the same stock as I make the Hexhawks out of. Hmm. Um, and that'll be going up on my Etsy store as well, um, because, you know, I just wanted to make one. I thought it'd be fun. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I, I forged it out, like, months ago, and uh, I found it lying in a pile um, <laughs> after we cleaned out the shed, and I went, oh, that's right, I made this thing. Yeah, I should fi- finish that. <laughs> so I did. So that, that's going to be finished in the next day or so. Um and I also finally filmed the second part of my classes for my Patreons. Cool. Um, the first of two forging videos. Um, I'm actually making two knives, kind of side by side, for this class. Um, they're both the same knife in basic terms. Um, but I'm showing two very different styles of getting there. So, you know, one's, one is going to be... Uh, you know, forged in one way and the other one's going to be forged in a completely different way from different stock. Um, and then they're going to be, you know, ground differently, heat treated differently, um, just to show that there are multiple approaches to the same thing. That sounds cool. And then I'm going to compile each separate one into uh, like a playlist for my patrons so that they can watch either one build or the other, or they can watch all of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's been put up there, and uh, yeah, just trying to maintain positivity, trying to maintain productivity. Um, I have a class this weekend um, with a guy who ordered a class back in February, so he's been waiting a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with uh, coronavirus restrictions laying off now, I can afford to have you know a class, a student. But yeah, other than that, it's been. Um, been an interesting week, I have to say. Mm. Not, not an like. easy week. Not an easy week by any Yeah, but stretch. good on you for getting out and getting stuff done. Yeah, thanks. That's what it's about. Yeah, it's been uh, been fun. Gotta keep on keeping on. <laughs> That's it. Uh, as far as my song of the week goes, um, I'm going a little bit different again. Um, mm. And I'm going with an oldie, but a goldie. Uh, it's by a singer named Gordon Lightfoot. Um, some of our... Uh, older listeners may know him maybe maybe some of our younger listeners do too although he wasn't he hasn't been very popular for a couple of decades 
Um, I grew up with, uh, my stepdad's actually a blues musician, um, and listens to nothing that was made after 1985. So, <laughs> 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 um, so I, I got, I got some really cool music in my, uh, in my playlists, but, um, one of my favorite songs of Gordon's is, uh, Painter Passing Through. Uh, and it's, it's just a really cool little chill thing. My, my other favorite from him is the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, but that song is nine minutes long and I didn't want to add that to the playlist. Why not? <laughs> I put purple rain on there. Well, I mean, that, that is true. You did, but, uh, no, painting passes through, painter passing through is, is, it has to be one of my favorites. Um, you know, so uh, I would go with that one. It's less depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, do we have any listener emails this week? We do. We have one from Ryan Casey on Instagram. And uh, he says, Excellent. I was wondering if you guys could talk about lighting up a gas forge for the first time and what steps should be taken to cure the refractory while Sam is building the postbox forge. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question, actually. And I actually do cover this... Um, lighting a forge in my beginner uh i think it's my beginner series um Mm. on my youtube channel but um one of the key things you want to try and do is um gently get rid of the moisture that's built up in there yeah don't Um, stick your face in it (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot of people want to sort of they get impatient they want to get forging in there and um and have that burner going and and you know, get it get it hot and run it long and get some work done in there. But really, um, you, you want to sort of coax the moisture out by heating up the inside to a certain point and then letting it uh, turn it off, let it steam out, and you will see a lot of steam coming out of that uh, that forge. Yeah. Um, and, and do this a few times until it doesn't steam anymore. Once it doesn't steam anymore, you can leave it overnight and then it's pretty much good to go. Yeah, I mean, for my postbox forge, uh, as as you mentioned, um, now finished, obviously, um, I actually f- uh, use a hairdryer because it's winter; it's quite cold, and that that you know, I left it overnight to you know kind of dry out, but it didn't really because <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't uh, wasn't really steaming off anything. So um, I actually hit it with a blowtorch a little bit, and then I used a hairdryer to maintain that moisture, like to maintain that warmth, and get some air circulation over it. Hmm. Um, you can also position a fan, like blowing through your forge, uh, to get some air running over it. That's just how how sort of sublimation works. If there is air movement passing over the surface, it will pick up uh, dry air, particularly. Uh, it will pick up moisture from the surface uh, and pull it out and carry it off. But it's got to be moving air. It can't be still air. That's it. And so, and then once you reach a point where you think there's enough moisture has been sublimated off, you can then um, fire it. Now, you don't want to fire it like full bore straight away. Um, if you've got a, a pressure gauge on your gas... Um, on your gas regulator, which you should, as we've spoken about on the forge cast before, um, then you turn it down to as low as you can go, um, and still have gas. Uh, if you don't have a regulator, shut the air off almost completely, uh, from your venturi so that you get a very rich flame, which is normally a very cold flame. Uh, and then just slowly increase the pressure and increase the oxygen over, you know, a half hour, and let the steam kind of steam out. Um, I, I was very impatient with mine. I basically just, you know, threw it through the burner in there and, and let it rot, let it rip. And, and that's uh, it, how you uh, get cracks. <laughs> well, yeah, it cracked a little bit and it, um, it also had water running out of the screw holes in the sides. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's not it's not the the easiest way to do it, and it's not the safest way to do it for the lining. But yeah, this the the slower and the more gentle you can do it, the less likely you are to get cracks in your refractory. But at the end of the day, that's what refractory patching is for. Um, <laughs> uh, just let it dry as long as you can, and then slowly build up the heat. And I'm I'm legitimately saying, you know, run it for a half hour at almost no oxygen get that nice rich flame and then just slowly increase the oxygen for an like an hour and uh 
after about an hour, you should have it running at full temperature uh, and leave it running at full temperature for about 15 to 30 minutes and that's fully cured, basically. Mm. Yeah. Hope yeah, that thank answers you for the your question. question, Ryan. Yeah. So, inspirations of the week. We're yeah, do you want to get us started? Yeah, yeah apparently mine... you're going to irritate me. No. <laughs> well, mine is links back to... Um, uh, my rethinking Neil's knife and it's because my inspiration of the week um, has actually made the same project multiple times over just because they were pushing for perfection they would see it and then go yeah I'm not happy with it and they would do it again and this isn't a small project he was actually working on a dragon sculpture and uh-huh. um, yeah and that's a lot of work it's a hell of a lot of work to, to do a dragon head. Um, it's fiddly. Anyone who's done like a ram's head or a dragon's head or any of that, it's like it's not difficult to do. It's difficult to do just right, and it's fiddly. Um, and my inspiration this week is Dan Moss, someone who had on the show before, um, because he was just like he didn't like the teeth or he didn't like the shape of the snout on it or something like that so he would just make it again and again and again um, until he got it to where he wanted it and the final result looks spectacular it's actually really really cool um, and I made the suggestion to him that he should um, take his newfound practice of uh, doing dragon heads and actually make a set of V-bit tongs where the nibs are dragon heads like the jaws of the of a dragon you know the top and the bottom and the the teeth would sort of hold the stock um so he's actually going to give that a go um with his newfound patience for doing dragon heads and i'm actually really looking forward to seeing that but yeah it's sort of i had been working on a model of neil's as um you may remember it's a lockback folder um, and it worked, and it sounded good, and it felt good to operate, but it wasn't right. And so um, it's gotten me starting again. And I've got the time because the postage from Australia to South Africa is still totally locked off because of the pandemic. Um, so I thought, why not make use of the time? Why not do better if I can do better? And so, uh, yeah, Dan was my inspiration behind that this week. Yeah, I've been really digging that uh, that dragon sculpture he's been making. Actually, it's just cool. one one of those things where it's, it's just like he would do it and say, "Oh, this isn't quite right," and I'm looking at it thinking, "Of course, it's fine. Look at it; it looks great. <laughs> like, what's wrong with it?" But then he would redo it, and it's like, "Oh yeah, I see now. That one's better." <laughs> and yeah, then he's like, "Nah, this one's shit too. I'm going to do it again." <laughs> it's easy as the maker to see how the thing you've made doesn't match what you were expecting. Hmm. Yeah. Like from an from an outside perspective, we're looking at it going, "Hey, you know that looks good," because we didn't have any kind of preconception of what they were aiming for. Yeah, but the final uh, thing did look did look spectacular. Yeah, no, it looks great. I think it's going to MT uh, MT Mount Phillips Metalworks. I'm not sure. I, th- I think I saw something about that. It is going yeah. to somebody. I can't remember who. Yeah, but uh, they should be very happy with it. It looks great. How about you, no, Sam? How, who's your inspiration this week? So my um, my inspiration this week is also not a bladesmith. Um, <laughs> it's also a um, a industrial blacksmith or architectural blacksmith, artisanal blacksmith, whatever you want to say. Uh, and it is Jeff Vanderwalker. Uh, he goes by Javos Ironworks, or I, I'm not sure how to pronounce that if it's got a specific accent to it. Um, but yeah, Jeff Vanderwalker is an artisan blacksmith who makes spectacularly stunning um, wrought ironwork. Uh, and one of the reasons that I've really uh, been inspired by him recently is because um, he's been working on hand-forged Baroque and, uh, you know, like, old-school locks. Mm. He's been making... Uh, like entirely like key from the key you know everything all of the internals he's been making these really ornate gate locks and padlocks and stuff like that that is something like if i if money wasn't a thing that i had to try and earn all the time and i could just make what i wanted that is definitely something i would pursue 
Yeah, and he he just t- takes it to that next level. Like you can tell that every piece is hand filed, not ground or anything, hand filed mm. and forged to exacting degrees. And he actually finished one a while back that he showed a video of him unlocking and relocking it with the whole back off it, so you could see how it worked. Mm-hmm. And the, just just the 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 crisp clacks of this giant it was a you know it was a pretty large church door you know kind of lock uh, something you would picture on the doors of the Notre Dame or mm-hmm. something like that um, but yeah no it, he does he does spectacular stuff and um, it's not just locks and stuff that he does he also does uh, you know like barn door pulls and and you know uh, wrought iron gates and wall hangings and stuff like that but his locks there's something about them really got me inspired because he really likes to go industrial with his design and then add in file work and little chisels uh, chisel marks and stuff like that to really bring out the character um, it's it's very much in keeping with my style which is I prefer to be very subtle with my embellishment rather than over the top yeah that's my field uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it, it's a stylistic difference, and mm. his his uh, his embellishment tends to be very subtle, uh, which really speaks to my personal kind of taste. And honestly, his uh, approach to fit and finish is very much in keeping with what I like. Is that really fine fit and finish, which is fantastic to to see. Does that mean you're uh, finally going to be spurred to recreate the Master Mirror lock? Uh, maybe one day. <laughs> when I have a couple of days spare. Yeah, just a couple. Rightio. Well then. Javos Ironworks on Instagram. Yes. Yeah, doesn't definitely worth a follow. I don't believe so. He doesn't have a link. No, he does do have, have a link to it. Uh, I believe he's Javos Ironworks on YouTube as well. There you go. Sam's There's just found in hours of content that he's going to be absorbing over the next few days. Okay, he's, he's on YouTube under Jeff Vanderwalker. Okay. And uh, he does have a couple of videos. And he doesn't obviously upload very often. Uh, he's only got 261 subscribers, if you can believe it. Well, let's fix that. Let's fix that indeed. Inspiring to make more videos about his awesome. <laughs> yeah, go and, go and blow up his, uh, his inbox with requests for more videos. And with that, it brings us in to Tool Time. Tool Time! Whether you're wanting to take your first steps into knife making or a seasoned blacksmith, Creative Man is the place you want to go to stock up on all the best steels, handle materials, hardware, and gizmos to get you doing your best work. Check out their easy-to-use website at creativeman.com.au and stock up today. And this week, we are talking about a steel. It is a steel week. And we are talking about mm-hmm. 15 and 20 high nickel steel. Yeah, and it's a steel that a lot of people are, know about, but they don't know much about it. <laughs> yeah. Commonly, like, you find it in the, the, the basic sort of, you know, cheese and Vegemite Damascus. The, um, yeah. You know, you got your 15 and 20 lead with 1084, very common, um, or sometimes 1095 or 1080 um, to get that nice high contrast for a... It's the classic. They want to weld together. That's it. And I mean, 15 and 20 is, is kind of the ubiquitous bright metal in Damascus, no matter what Damascus you're looking at. Um, there are a few makers who use various other steels for their light steels, but 15 and 20 is very much the common, uh, the common one. And that's for a very good reason. It's because it is basically 1075 with 2% nickel. Mm. Um... So I have the the chemical composition in front of me, actually, uh, not making the mistake of last of previous steel uh, <laughs> steel episodes. Um, so it has, uh, on average, 0.75% carbon, 2% nickel, uh, 0.3% silicon, and 0.4% manganese, which, um, if you take out the nickel content, is pretty much the the content of 1075. Which means that if you use anything from 1075, 1084, 1095, you're going to have very similar um, heat Heat treat results. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it's going to be of similar hardness under the hammer, 
when being forged, which is incredibly important when it comes to forging Damascus. And it's super important. It's a thing that a lot of people, uh, and I've, I've, talked, I've ranted about this so many times, about really needing to understand the why of things. Um, and one thing that I've noticed that people experimenting with Damascus tend to forget about considering is that you are working with multiple types of steel and you don't want them to have various or diverse uh, heat treatment regimes because you can only heat treat the entire thing all or nothing and so you want steels that are going to have very similar if not identical heat treatment procedure in order to minimize any warping or loss of quality in the final product yeah that's it i mean um, when you're using Damascus, which has ver wildly varying, um, you know, kind of heat treating results, the uh, the normal uh, advice is to heat treat for the higher carbon uh, steel in the mix. Mm. Um, unfortunately, that means that you might overstress your lower carbon steels, or you might, you know, get some weird things happening in the in the heat treat because that lower carbon steel doesn't like to be treated that quickly or that especially roughly. if you're doing something like a twist pattern damascus and you're going to literally tear itself open yeah absolutely yeah um it's quite common with san mai actually uh for billets to literally explode um <laughs> just <laughs> uh, tear themselves down the center not even tear the welds apart but literally tear the center the core of the billet apart but even if you're not talking about um you know, horrific, catastrophic delaminations and things like that. Uh, even if it were to hold together fine, if you've got um, something that you've had to sort of do the best that you can do with the heat treatment, you're always going to have a poorer quality blade than a monosteel heated blade. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, 15 and 20 is definitely a, um, a, a definitely a useful steel for Damascus, but it's also a useful steel on its own. Um, because it is very much like 1075, it's very forgiving in the heat treat. And the added nickel actually makes it uh, more stain resistant than 1075 or 1084 or 1095. Um, that's the reason that it doesn't etch as fast in ferric chloride or hydrochloric acid as those other carbon steels do. And that's because it has that nickel content. So even if you're not looking at making Damascus, 15 and 20 is actually a very useful steel for making things like uh, chef's knives and, um, you know, knives that you may use around water because it's going to hold an edge just like 1075, but it's also going to give you the advantage of being slightly more stain resistant. Mm. Uh, there is some speculation about nickel also giving it some form of um springiness or you know toughness mm -hmm. um although I, I haven't heard that be proven um <laughs> so that's that's pure speculation at this point but yeah no the the nickel content does exact uh, does give you a little bit more stain resistance which is great for guys like me who still like to use carbon steels um but do want to make stuff like filleting knives yep. um you know, if you don't want to make a filleting knife out of stainless steel because of the heat treatment requirements, then 15 and 20 may actually be a really good option. Because while it isn't a stainless steel, it is more stain resistant than other carbon steels. Hmm. There you go. So hopefully that has inspired some more people to go out looking for it. And where can they find it if they are looking for it in scrap? I know bandsaw blade is a common... Uh, source of it, or not uh, not all bandsaw <coughs> blade, but um, particularly lumber mill bandsaw blade, the big big wide stuff. Yeah, um, industrial quite, stuff. Quite often, the industrial bandsaw blades will be fifteen and twenty. Um, it's not always, as you say, not always going to be the case. But uh, I have found that that is a common source of it um, from people who get their stuff spectroscopically uh, spectroscopically analyzed. Spectroscopically spectroscopically yes it's a word that i continually use because spectroscopy is is a because thing you're that we use. <laughs> yeah because it's me um but it's something that i always trip over so. <laughs> <laughs> yes it, um i have had friends who have had bandsaw blades spectroscopically analyzed including bandsaw blade my i myself have in my workshop that is 15 and 20 uh, or has a similar chemical composition but uh, you can't always assume that. And the best way to test for it is to weld it up in a billet with some known dark etching steel, whether that be, you know, old file steel or 
GNOME 1084 or something like that and see if it etches differently. Okay. <laughs> that's, I, that's actually the best way. I've seen a few people who've theorized that you can etch it uh, next to a piece of 1084 or something like that and then bo- pull them both out and see what color they turn. But all steels turn black in ferric yeah, chloride. That's it. Um, anyone who's made Damascus will know that when you pull the blade straight out of the ferric, it looks all black, and then you wipe off the oxides. And as you wipe off the oxides, you're wiping off from the higher layer, which is the a layer that hasn't etched away as much, which will be the 15 and 20. Yeah. Yeah. Something to keep in mind, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, when it comes to scrap mascus, a lot of the time it's going to come down to experimentation because you, more often than not, do not know exactly what you're working with. So... Um, uh, I think it's uh, almost like a rite of passage for anybody that enjoys being a scrap, yeah, a scrap rat that at some point you will end up making a monosteel Damascus billet. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately so. And that's why a lot of uh, yeah. professionals who make Damascus knives for a living will tell you always go with known steel. And in Damascus, that's kind of important because... It's, it's just yeah. so much work to go through uh, to make a decent billet of it. You don't want to go through it to find out that you've got two steels that etch more or less the same. I have done it before. <laughs> oh, so have I. I. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not uncommon. Yeah. Anyway, um, that actually does sort of slide into our topic of the week. Because what we are talking about is um, sort of an extension of a um, conversation that started off air a while back, and that's desert island items for the blacksmith or bladesmith, and not just tools, but materials as well, the sort of thing that if you could only choose one steel to work with for the rest of your life or one handle material to work with for the rest of your life or pick one of your hammers that you are able to use for the rest of your life what would they be because sometimes tools break as i am discovering with my vfd out of action um and sam with having minimal hammers that he has access to and having those favorites it's um it's just part of it, really. You, you'll, you'll find that you'll go for that one hammer that you like, even if it's not necessarily... If it's smaller than you might normally need for the job, or larger, perhaps. And you just like using it. So um, what this started with was... Uh, uh, I think it was, it was you asked me, or I asked you. I can't remember if, if you had to pick one steel that you're only allowed to use that steel to make knives out of for the rest of your days. And you said 50... Um, 5160. I think might have I think maybe it was one of our viewers on a live stream or something. Right. So I'm um, trying to remember. I I do remember having the conversation, but I think I think my answer was 5160, yeah. Yeah. And I've I've changed mine recently. It was W2. Mhm. Um but I I have to say 1084 all the way. Yeah, I mean, 1084 is hard to beat, that's true. It's a dream. It's an absolute dream. <laughs> as long as I could get 1084 in, like, all of the... All, <laughs> all the all dimensions. The thicknesses, all the dimensions that I needed, then, yeah, I'd probably have to agree. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm, I'm a, obviously I'm infamously known as being a scrap rat, but um, 1084 is not something you really find in scrap. Um but uh, when it's so easy to get from people like Creative Man delivered to your door, you don't really need to. So, I um, yeah, when it comes to that, and, and on the Instagram I said recently, when it comes to handle materials, it may not be the prettiest, but in terms of workability, uh, Philippine rosewood or any rosewood species is just mm. an absolute dream to work for me. And if I had to pick one wood to work with for the rest of my days, that would be it. Yeah, and I, I th- um, remember you putting that out on the Instagram, and I responded, Spotted Gum, because mm. you can get some really nice curl in Spotted Gum, um, but it also has the added advantage of being incredibly stable, naturally stable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also incredibly dense, which is good. Uh, it's very hard, and it can be used as axe and hammer handles. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to use rosewood for an axe handle. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a little brittle for that. A little bit. 
But yeah, I mean, because because uh, axes and stuff. I I love this topic. The whole idea of you know like if you were on a desert island, what would you take and why? Mm-hmm. Because it really makes you kind of question why you use certain things, and the why is always the most important, as we continually say on this chat on this <laughs> on this podcast. Well, it got me thinking about the topic more uh, because, um, and we've we've talked about this like in in the time that we have been doing the Forge Cast, um, I have gotten a two by seventy two grinder, Frankie. I built him mm-hmm. um, about halfway through doing the show, but up until that point, for like two years, I was using a one by thirty grinder. Um, and with Frankie out of commission, I've had to do go back to doing all of my work on a one by 30 um and it's sort of doing more with less in the past it's like it trained me for this moment yeah (laughs) and it's 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 this sort of this topic is sort of about that really it's like if you could only have a handful of things what would you do i obviously would not pick a one by 30 grinder (laughs) it's terrible to work (laughs) on but the the theory is sort of the same you know it's it's um if you have limited resources, what are you going to do? Yeah, and that's it. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, it kind of makes me want to talk about a, an idea I've had for a long time, but if I t- say it on the podcast and I'm actually locking myself into it and I'm not sure I'm ready for that right now. If we um, had a live audience right now, everyone would be chanting at you to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, it's true. It is true. I know I can hear it now. Like I, I can hear it coming back from the future. I can hear it. <laughs> yeah. Wuss. Uh, <laughs> oh, Niels is here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. <laughs> Sorry, Niels. That was a terrible impression yeah, of like your accent. Scottish, South African. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm... I, I, the Yorkshire Neils. Jeez, that's terrifying <laughs> thought, isn't it? A Yorkshire Neils. That would be interesting. You tell kids today that. Who won't, won't believe, believe you. <laughs> I used to no, get up four o'clock in the morning, half an hour before I went to bed. Lick the road <laughs> clean with tongue. You used to walk 24 hours to, <laughs> to and from work, uphill both ways. We used and to live in a paper home. bag in a septic tank. <laughs> And when we got home, my mother would, mum and dad would beat us to death and dance about in our graves singing hallelujah. <laughs> and if anybody has no idea what we're going on about, I highly recommend you look up the Four Yorkshiremen skit from Monty Python. Man, the Four Yorkshiremen. Like, I, that, that is part of the seminal works it's of my childhood. so good. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't know who Monty Python is needs to go out right now and, you know, get the life of Brian and the Holy Grail <laughs> mm-hmm. and flying Li- live and lo- live at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, um, yeah. Albatross. Stormy bleeding, petrol on a stick. Bleeding seabird flavor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But anyway, back to back to. <laughs> That's the original point. Oh god, tangents. Oh yes. Um, for the last four years, I have been obsessed with the idea of how minimalistic can you go. Um, because one of the things we talk about uh, in the blacksmithing community is that the blacksmith is the king of all craftsmen. And we don't say that because we think we're better than everyone else. It's purely the fact that nearly every other craft known to man at the moment was in some way supported by a blacksmith. Yes, particularly the knitting crowd. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe not the knitting crowd. <laughs> Although and the knitting crowd normally needed a spinning crowd and the spinning crowd needed someone who could, you know, make a spinning wheel, which would need a craft uh, we need which, a carpenter which, yeah and a carpenter needed chisels and axes and mallets and stuff like that mm. and nails <laughs> and uh, all of those tools were made by a blacksmith um touche and so yeah if you if you go back far enough pretty much every industrial like the entire industrial world was built off the face of an anvil um, whether it be a seamstress who uses her needles 
or a, you know a carpenter who uses his axe, a mason who uses his hammer and chisel, the tools that built the world as we know it were built at the face of an anvil in the fire of a forge. Mm. And so I started working out because I'm, I'm massively into making my own tools and, you know, understanding what tools were made and how back in the medieval days, the iron age, the early Viking age, stuff like that. And to that end, I kind of thought about what would I need to start with to get to, you know, say a sword. How far back could I go before I was unable unable to reach uh, a sword? And um, it ended up coming to me that all I needed was a forge, mm-hmm. a hammer, and an anvil, and then a supply of steel. And awesome, from a f- awesome charcoal and clay. <laughs> Yeah, what's some charcoal and clay? <laughs> from from nothing but a heat source, a hammer and an anvil, you could make every tool that was needed to build anything. And um, the idea has been sticking with me for years, and I, I've I've kind of it's kind of gone through many many uh, ideal you know idea kind of repairs. <laughs> <laughs> And it's something that I desperately want to do, and I'm actually thinking about making it a series. Um, unfortunately, it was going to require quite a amount of time input. Um, and I've been writing a book about it, funnily enough. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 been it's it's kind of a seminal work of mine, and it's something I dream of doing before I leave this earth. Um, at some point, <laughs> I want to do this. But yeah, I, I I think it's getting to the time where I really want to uh, start putting it out there, which is why I was happy to talk about this on the on the show. Uh, again, I, I feel like I'm locking myself into this now that I'm putting you it out. Absolutely. Show. Are. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's something that I'm I'm looking to do in the future, and I think it's something that is important to remind people when they think of what what tools would you take. Realistically you don't need any other than a forge, a hammer, and an anvil. Something to hold the steel with helps. Your hands. <laughs> as long as the bar is long enough, you can hold it with your hands. Until you, until it's too short. Making nails is hard without some tongs. Well, that's true, but... But you can make you have, the tongs. Exactly. Yeah. If all you have is a bar of steel, a hammer, and an anvil, and a forge, you can make tongs to then make other things. And one thing that I've always found beautifully poetic about blacksmithing is how portable it really is if you're that dedicated. Uh, and a lot of anvils from history, and unlike the uh, ones that show up in movies, um, a lot of anvils from history are quite small and they're post anvils that are designed to be just carried in the bottom of a toolbox or a backpack and then hammered into a stump to add the extra mass. And yeah, well, the I mean, amount of work that just a small little anvil can do Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, the anvils in the Master Mere collection, I think the heaviest of them was like two and a half pounds. Mm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dream of mine to actually make one um, so in totally traditional means and because I, I still use the hand-blown charcoal forge. Uh, mm-hmm. Do it proper old school, forge it out, um, and then actually use it at demos to show people just what can be done. Yeah, well, I mean, I made that stump anvil, uh, the Viking-style stump anvil, mm. uh, many moons ago, last year, sometime. Mm. But, um, you know, and, I, and I'm not totally happy with how it came out. It did come out a little bit lopsided. We only put one day into it, unfortunately. <laughs> we were kind of in a rush. But I want to revisit that and make another stump anvil that's actually, you know, useful. And, well, it, I mean, the one I made is useful. I, I forged on it at the... Uh, medieval reenactment event I went to um you know it's, it's just funny how how useful blacksmithing was and I mean the Mastermere chest is a perfect example of that that was a chest that was being dragged around the countryside um and contained most of the tools that would be required to make or repair you know nearly anything you could think of back then it's one of those things isn't it um the 
there's that ongoing thing where people think they need to use as big a hammer as possible to show how manly they are. But really, you can get a phenomenal amount of work done with a two-pound hammer. And if you are actually in the position of carrying them around with you everywhere, carrying a six-pound hammer <laughs> is a lot harder than carrying a two-pound hammer. Yeah, I'd much rather carry a six-pound anvil and a two-pound hammer. Yeah, that's right. Um, and just learn, <laughs> learn how to swing the hammer properly. Well, that's it. And it all comes down to like the size of the stock you're working because you know a, a two pound hammer won't work forty mil round stock very well. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, if you're working forty mil round stock, you're not a travelling blacksmith. That's what you're doing. A, a, you know, <laughs> established not. forge where you've got strikers. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, uh, and and this is the thing is that people kind of get it out of context is that they go like you know oh I need a I need an eight pound hammer to work you know six mil round stock. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you, you know, at that point, you're being a little ridiculous. To make steel uh, paper, you use an eight pound hammer on six mil round stock. Yeah, that's you know, it's a really good way to make steel paper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can almost hear yeah, the so- sound when you hit it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's that really hollow thump that you get. I, I really love that sound when you get a really good blow on a, on. Um, on a good piece of hot steel and it just kind of thump yep. and you can, and you know, all of that energy went straight through the stump of the anvil into the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. Love it. It's a pain in the ass cause you have to pick the hammer up cause it doesn't bounce back at you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like hitting wet clay. It's, um, but yeah, so it, uh, the whole, you know, desert island kind of question is always a fun one for me because you can go reductionist to the point of fire, hammer, something to hit on, and, you know, steel. And it's one of those things, like, it, it got me thinking, got me feeling <laughs> philosophical having to do... Because uh, I was standing at that 1x30 for a long time, finishing that pig sticker. <laughs> uh, yeah. 7-inch bladed knife on a 1x30 grinder is not... There's no small task, especially when you've only got Alox belts on a 1x30. <laughs> it was yeah, not that's, fun. That, that's so I had a lot of time... back. Yeah, I had a lot of time to think. And... <laughs> Um, but what it actually got me thinking was um, when you get accustomed to using presses, power hammers, even jigs, or an mm-hmm. entire thorough collection of tongs, you know, like I'm already at about 20-something pairs of tongs, um, mm-hmm. what happens if they break or suddenly become unavailable do you have the skills to be able to do the same amount of work with less? Um, and yeah. how important really is it to maintain those skills? I mean, you even get the um, master smiths, you know, Jason Knight and Jay Nielsen. They will occasionally go back and do a minimal tool build just to make sure they're still sharp. Yeah, and I think it's really important to not forget the fundamentals because I think that is something that differentiates a master from an amateur is that the master can build with nothing. Um, whereas the amateur often has to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with having to start from zero, you know, having to file your bevels and having to, you know, like forge on a piece of railroad track what you're doing is building the skills that when you get to, you know, have a power hammer, have a press, you'll know why you're using that tool. That's right. I mean, I, you know, I have Preston. I have, you know, a 20 ton hydraulic press. I didn't have it for the first seven years that I was a blacksmith. And so now I have it. I understand how much of a, <laughs> a game changer it is, but it doesn't mean that I'm incapable of drawing out on the anvil. Mm. Um, you know, I, I know I'm capable of that, and I often still do draw out over the anvil purely to make sure that my hammer eye coordination is still, you know, still up there with the with what it used to be. Yeah, that's right. It is a perishable skill, and you will lose that skill if you don't practice it. Yeah, and and it's it's important to. I mean, we are artisans at the end of it, uh, and if the the more of your work that gets 
uh, for lack of a better term, automated, the less of the of you is in it. I mean, you're obviously operating the machines, and I'm not disparaging the use of power hammers and presses and things like that. It's a, a great force multiplier to be able to get more work done faster and more efficiently. Um, but if you become useless, if that stuff breaks down, then you've lost the art and you need to be able to keep that and, and maintain it because it makes you appreciate those tools when you have them so much more. Yeah, precisely right. I mean... But it doesn't stop to, you. If it... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not to be said that, you know, like, say if you have an injury that precludes you from swinging a hammer, but you can run a power hammer and so therefore you do everything with a power hammer and if the power hammer breaks down, you can't swing a hammer so therefore you can't do that. That's not to say that you are useless because you have to use a power hammer. My advice to that would be find something that you can do outside of the forging aspect, you know, say file work or, you know, something like that, that you add to your work to add that piece of you to the piece. Hmm. So me, um, me engraving this axe while the grinder is out of commission. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, I can make a hex hawk which is forged by by hand and then ground um and it looks very clean and stuff like that and that's kind of the the touch that i'm putting in is the the cleanliness but if i didn't have my 2x72 you can be damn sure my hex hawks wouldn't look like they do yeah uh, because there's no way i'd be doing that by hand because <laughs> you did it once uh well no i hand sanded one by once but i didn't i didn't I, I ground that before I hand sanded it. <laughs> but even but even the job of hand sanding it was a nightmarish. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if I'd had to do that all with files and stuff like that, I think I yeah, I think I would have just chucked it in the bin. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, there's nothing wrong with you know taking shortcuts in your work if you're getting to a certain place that you need to get to, but try and add that little bit of extra spark from you into it. Yeah, ask yourself the question, could you do the job without it? And it's okay to use the tool, but if you wouldn't be able to do the job without the tool, not due to injury or something, but because you wouldn't know how anymore, mm. then maybe it's time to take a weekend and, and reconnect with the art form and thus have a greater appreciation for the tool that you're using. Okay, so... Because we still have some time, I'd like to pose posit a question to you, Alex. Mm. In the same vein of what we've been talking about, but you know, to try and put us back on track to the original topic. If you could only take five tools other than a hammer, anvil, and forge, right? So you already have a hammer, anvil, and forge, and you have the option to take five more tools with you, what would you take? Are we assuming that I have a source of fuel and power? Yeah, so you've got power, you've got um, you've got steel, you've got um, your forge, your anvil, your hammer. Basically, you're going to a fully kitted out workshop that has nothing in it except lights, power, and those items. All right. Well, Frankie's got to come. <laughs> so two by seventy-two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, with, with his new VFD. Let's assume that Fastway have gotten off their ass and delivered the new VFD. <laughs> well, we, I mean, you could just take a Gibson 72, but, you know, like... <laughs> hey, hey, Frankie's got character. Well, this is true, okay. Um, a good set of files. Does that count as one item? Mm. All right, one... I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Oh, okay. I'll allow it. Okay. Uh, a good set of files has got to be there. A rotary tool. Mm -hmm, like a Dremel. Yep. Yep. Uh, but that doesn't include bits, so, you know. Yeah, well, a set of 3 mil carbide burrs would be in there, so that's four items. Uh, Frankie, files, carbide burrs. You didn't add belts to that list. Yeah, that's true. And my collection of belts. There's five. That's four. No, no, the, you've got the Dremel. Oh. Rotary tool and bits. Yeah, okay, oh, fair enough. Because ah, if I've got, if I've got my basic tools, the the hand forging tools down, I can do a lot with a little. Because for the first long, the longest time when I started blacksmithing, I had one five hundred gram ball peen hammer. Mm -hmm. I had one set of tongs, and it was wolf jaw tongs that did a bad job at holding everything. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't say tongs, by the way. Well, yeah, well. 
um, I'd rather just make ones that fit, <laughs> to be honest. Than, than, make, make a set rather than <laughs> taking one with you. Yeah, rather than going through that hell again. Um, yeah, don't just buy Wolf George. If you're just starting out and you're, you're thinking, oh, I've been listening to the show for a while, I'm going to get started. Don't make the mistake that I did and think that, oh, Wolf George tongs will perfectly hold everything. Why would I need any yeah, other no. pair of tongs? It doesn't work like that. No, it really doesn't. They're the master of no trades. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, so if I, I mean, I just had that and I had a, a my, my forge with a hand crank blower and I loved it so much I've only ever used hand crank blowers. Um, yeah, so... And I did yeah. so much with so little and a tiny little 66-pound anvil. Mm-hmm. And I, I got... I Actually, you would be surprised how well I can move steel still with that 500 gram ball peen because i was stuck with it for so long oh yeah man practice makes perfect yeah it, it got my ability to draw out steel really really good and now even now most of the work that i do is with a 1.8 pound hammer yeah and i can strike like you would not believe with that damn thing uh, absolutely how about you sam same question Well, <clears throat> I take a little bit of a different approach. Um, I would first take a workbench mm-hmm. and a vice. Because mm-hmm. without those two things, I'd die. <laughs> I could technically build a workbench. You could build a vice. Yeah, no, I'm not even going to try. Um <laughs> See, my plan like, was to forge a foot vice. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd want a proper leg vice, like you know, six to eight inch jaw, blacksmith's leg vice. Okay. And my workbench would be steel, like you know, steel workbench, at least a quarter inch top. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> a set of files, definitely. Third file. Third, third, of course, because you know. Third is preferred. Everybody knows that we are fanboys of third. <laughs> Hashtag not sponsored. Yeah, that's it. We Hashtag wish, wish we uh, were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's three. Um. Oh, mm, would I want it? Yeah, drill press. A drill press and drill bits. Okay. No 2x72. A full full set of like cobalt or tungsten carbide drill bits. So let me get this straight. You just finished saying that if you had to use files to do all the bevels on that hex hawk, you would have thrown it out. And then it's like, what items do you take the desert island on? Not a 2x72, I'd take files. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The thing is is that, that for me, files are like... Realistically, on a desert island, I'm not worried about making mass production, you know, levels of quality, quantity, you know. Um, I'm not going to be bashing out 600 of anything. Um, maybe except nails, and then for nails, I don't need a 2x72. Not with that attitude. <laughs> if you're using a 2x72 for nails, you're doing something very wrong. <laughs> Um. <laughs> maybe I suck at drawing points <laughs> then you need to practice drawing yeah. points um, I mean I, I suppose it depends on the, the situation if I'm like trying to start a business up from the ground then you know it'd be selling a little to little the different. local monkeys <laughs> but you know like it, for a desert island survival kind of thing um, I want to rely on my ability to, to work with my hands as much as possible um, I could even forego the files for something else because I can make my own files. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's one of those things where having the ability to remove metal doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, super powerful. And it's something that I keep telling people is they get into knife making or blacksmithing and the first thing they do is try and buy a two and a half thousand dollar grinder. Mm. And I say, don't. Because unless you're planning on being a professional knife maker or a professional tool maker, you don't need it. You desperately don't need it. I think there it, are guys. 
like I mean, K- amazing KK Daily is a you know channel that I watch quite a bit, and it's these guys in Cambodia that you know make axes and machetes and stuff. All they use is angle grinders. You know, like well, look at what the the Gurkha Smiths did. Yeah, exactly. Um, Again, they mostly use angle grinders and stuff like that in their grinding procedures. I do think, though, that it has highlighted the difference in our philosophies between the two of us. Like, you're stuck on mm. a desert island and you're thinking about, you know, getting stuff done and production and, you know, all that sort of thing and practicality. I'm thinking of, oh, well, I'm stuck on a desert island. I may as well make beautiful things. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> very, very stark differences between our uh, philosophies there. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's not to be said that you can't make beautiful things without a 2x72. No, but it's it, it allows me to focus more on the work. Mm. It's just, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm more content you, just sort of being where I am. You'll be, you'll be on your fifth knife and I'll be on my first. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'll still be filing the bevels. You'll, you'll still be <laughs> assembling the woots billet. Yeah, that's it. You know, I'll still be smelting the bloomery, you know, running, running the bag bellows made out of a pair of, you know, frogfish that I caught on the bottom of the ocean. You got these like uh, two halves of a coconut with banana leaf accordions in the middle. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, a, yep, a that's puff it. puff of fish under each foot. Yep. yep. <laughs> Some bamboo sticking in their mouths. Yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a, a braid, braided headband of banana leaves. Yeah, the, uh, the banana in, instead ninja. Instead of the blue ninja. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, got to make do with what you got. I'll have two, uh, you know, two bits of um, bamboo stalk for to make goggles. Yep. I think... I think one of the most important things that this kind of question uh, brings forward is not so much pointing out which tools you value most or, you know, like what your style is you value most. Like you can read into that if you want to, but I think the really important thing to realize is that the biggest tool that you have is yourself. I am a big tool. Well, we're both pretty huge tools, but (laughs) you know, like I'm bigger, I'm a bigger tool than you are, you know? Um, but the, the big thing is, at the end of the day, is that your knowledge and your skill set is the most important tool that you have in your arsenal. And the more you can train yourself, the more you can practice, the more knowledge you can accrue. It's keeping that tool the, oiled. Yeah, exactly. It's it, the better you're going to be. Um, you can have the best tools in the world. You can have, you know, like thousand dollar, multi thousand dollar milling machines and lathes and power hammers and all that kind of stuff but if you don't have the skills to use it then you'll be no better than the guy who's got nothing but files and you know a hand crank charcoal forge Mm. so yeah at the end of the day build your skills and build your own personal abilities before you build your tooling so then that when you build the tooling you'll know how to use it and know why you need that tool It was one of those things when uh, when Carl Roy was visiting Australia, um, I was hoping that he was going to travel around a bit because it would have been great to have him in my forge um, <laughs> just because I've got such a rustic setup compared to what he's used to. Um, I know 100%, I know that he would make something beautiful, but I would have loved to watch him do it in my setup um, yeah, being so much more rustic to what he's accustomed to. Like, I have no doubt in my mind, because he is a true master, that he would make something great. But getting to watch him do it and overcome the challenges um, would have been really something to witness. Absolutely. And I think that's the important thing, is that recognizing that adaptability, um, the ability to kind of conform to your surroundings and make the best of your situation, is the true mark of a master. It's why I'm looking forward to Neil's living up to his promise to visit me. <laughs> Not before I do. Same, same reason. Yeah, but you'll, <laughs> you'll kill it in my forge too, but everyone knows that. <laughs> well, we never know. I might just melt everything in half. Yeah, maybe. My, my forge is incredibly efficient. 
<laughs> yep. Uh, well. Oh, well. That about does it, because we are over the hour mark now. So, yeah. if anybody has a question regarding blacksmithing or bladesmithing, feel free to shoot it on over to us at ask.forgecast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. And if you're looking to get in touch with Sam, you can find him where? You can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith um, on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Etsy, Redbubble, Patreon, The Kitchen Sink. And please feel free to leave a review of our uh, podcast on Spotify or iTunes. Um, I believe iTunes still has the review function. So, you know, if you want to let them know that you enjoy listening to us, that'll be much appreciated. You can find Alex. I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Etsy and YouTube and Patreon and all over the place. TikTok, and you can <laughs> find me playing music with Springs in my workshop. Yeah, that was spectacular. I love that. <laughs> and don't forget, guys, that the uh, Forgecast challenge this month is to make a set of scissors. And some of the ones that have been being sent into us are spectacular. Absolutely. Special. So make sure you get make sure you get those uh, entries in because I think we are going to do a little bit of a uh, montage of them on our Forgecast Instagram. We need a montage. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Because uh, uh, this this work has got to be shouted from the rooftops. It's it's really been great. You guys have been stepping up massively, and we're super proud of each and every one of you. Absolutely stunning. You guys don't realize that even the ones that are contacting us saying oh they're not very good you know they're not particularly good they don't cut particularly well or anything the fact that you did it at all and that they kind of sort of work is a massive achievement absolutely scissors are complicated (laughs) incredibly so (laughs) well done to every single one of you and with that being said we'll bid you adieu and we'll see you in another week see you guys Oh!